And I've been working long, long, long days ahead, working in front of a VHS. Another episode of the Lethal Muller Podcast, the first for 2024. Here, live on the Fandom Podcast Network, I'm your host, the Lethal Muller himself, Adam O'Brien, and welcome to episode number 239 of the podcast. Here today, we're going to be chatting about one of the greatest books, also one of the greatest series, and definitely one of the greatest westerns ever to um, be on the screens. Now, it was on the small screen, but I can tell you, folks, this is one that really is beloved by fans, and particularly of the, the series itself. Uh, it all drove us to want to get into, of course, Larry McMurtry's amazing series. That is, of course, Lonesome Dove, and of course, the ongoing series of that as well. We'll touch on some of the novels, we'll talk about some of the series, but we're here today to uh, obviously look at the miniseries itself, which came out in 1989, and it, of course, starred... The amazing Tommy Lee Jones as Woodrow F. Call, and of course, as Gus, that's right, Augustus McRae, <laughs> the amazing Robert Duvall. Uh, we got some funny stories about those two, and of course, this amazing cast. Uh, and we'll talk about the ongoing series, the prequels, and of course, um, Streets of Loretto, the uh, sequel, uh, which um, is a bit of a somber sequel, you know, it's, a, it's one that really shows. Um, particularly Woodrow F. Call at a much later time in his life where he's not quite as nimble and as strong as he once was. Kind of has a little bit of uh, what Gus was going through in Lonesome Dove for him in that one too. But we'll talk about that very, very soon. And, of course, that whole series um, really got me reading Westerns again and um, particularly Louis L'Amour and, um, you know, of course, the rest of the series as well. McMurtry did a fantastic job of really capturing what the West was like uh, in that series, and um, the, the, the characters themselves are what really drove it. But that's what's happening here tonight on, of course, the Little Mola podcast, and of course, Happy New Year and all that, and more. Okay, you can find us on the line. You can find us at fbnet.podbean.com on Fan Podcast Network, where we have weekly shows going out for you all there to check out and, of course, enjoy uh, online. And, of course, uh, you can find it on all the podcatchers that are out there, of course. Spotify being one of the big ones, of course. Uh, you can find us, of course, on the um, podcast app for uh, I, iPhones and stuff like that too as well, on Apple, Apple Podcasts. We do a lot of different stuff these days, folks, and that's just one of the many you can find us at. Of course, you can find us also on the Podbean app itself as well. On socials, you can catch me at The Lethal Mullet. Of course, the big one being the Facebook page. Over there, we share a lot of different stuff. And, of course, a lot of it comes from the 1980s and 90s. Uh, Things like the re-release of China O'Brien now on Blu-ray and 4K, I do believe. And some great ones that are coming out. And, of course, this is from uh, UK developers, folks, which we'll talk about very, very soon. And also, we have um, the Instagram page as well. So go and check that out. And also, 
You can catch us on uh, X or Twitter. I'm going to continue to call it Twitter because X just sounds weird. <laughs> um, but yes, at the Leal Mullet is the handle on those. We're also on, um, I do believe, on some of the other many platforms that are out there. But they're the main three folks. You can catch us over there too. Now, a little bit of news that's out. We've got obviously uh, Jason Statham out there with a the beekeeper, which I'm going to see sometime in the next week and uh, maybe even this weekend. I'm a huge fan of Statham. You know, I've always supported his stuff uh, all the way back to Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, folks. I mean, he's just one of those great actors that has a real repertoire that we all enjoy. You know, he's, he's tough, strong and does all the, the kickboxing, the kung fu and a little bit of the jujitsu. It's all in there, folks. And uh, I think the speed and the power and the, and the smiles, you know, he's got that voice, you know. He goes, what are you talking about? What are you on about? What are you doing, mate? Yeah, come on, let's go and check out some bees, yeah? He's got that 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 voice, and it's just, it's classic, blue-collar, um, you know, uh, London, <laughs> if you like, uh, which is just perfect for what it is. So I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Obviously, there's only a month or so away before June Part 2 hits. June Part 2. I mean, it seems it's going to be a huge hit. Of course, I do believe... The June Part 2 is going to be the longest of these films that Denny Villeneuve has put together. The first one was a real nice, I think, uh, you know, nod to the universe. And obviously, it sort of whet the appetite of fans, but also people that, you know, have never heard of Dune before got a, a chance to see what Arrakis was, what Fremen was, what a Bene Gesserit was, and don't put your hand in the box. <laughs> uh, all those sorts of things that we know to be true. And just who is the Kwisatz Haderach? All of that and more is going to be in this new film. And uh, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Christopher Walken is playing Emperor Shaddam IV. Uh, we've got, obviously, more, many more things like the Harkonnens coming back and being dastardly and doomly. And, and um, it's great to see, obviously, Dave Bautista in his element here. And, of course, Stellan Skaskard, you know, who's, who's just absolutely lapping it up as, obviously, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. And you know the best thing about it too is is I think they you know they've had a bit of fun with it. You've got Josh Brolin back, obviously. Those that know the novel know that, of course, he comes back in the. I do believe it's the third part of um, the book. That is, of course, the Prophet. Of course, the the novel is actually broken into Dune, which is part one. Pretty much is all of what happens in the first film. The second part is called Muad'Dib, and this is where, of course, Paul learns to become a Fremen basically gets taken and uh, into the siege and to learn the ways of the Fremen and live off the land, all that sort of stuff, guerrilla attacks, ride the, the Shaihalud, the worm. <laughs> and we get to see that happen on screen. Obviously, the effects work in this is going to be some of the best ever seen, without a doubt. Now, with that too, we've got two parts that they really have to slam this together, and that's why it's almost three hours long. So you're looking at, Part two and three, which is Muad'Dib, and the third book, which is the third part in the first book, the paradigm of the novel, is, of course, it's called The Prophet. This is where Paul, using his, of course, powers of um, being, not only having, obviously, the background of the Bene Gesserit, which he has through his mum, and he has that training, and, of course, they believe that he's going to be, one day, the male equivalent of a Bene Gesserit, which is, of course, the Kwisatz Haderach, the one who can see through both timelines, female and male, 
right back and see where things are going to plot the plan because June is all about plans within plans and then those within plans as well. It's about scheming, it's about politics, and it's about, of course, setting something up to win or fail. One of the great things about this is the way that Timothy Chevrolet has really uh, done a fantastic performance, I think, in uh, the first one. And, of course, he's going to drive. He's got an energy to what he does, which everyone else is feeding off, and particularly the first film did an amazing job of. Uh, you got Javier Bardem, who's going to be playing the Stilgar, and, and even in the small amount of work that um, he did in the first one, you know, you've got a few scenes here and there, but you can kind of tell that he's always already got that sort of, um, I think, you know, the mentor, um, but tough love style mentor that really Stilgar is. You know, he's the the siege, or the you know, in this case, the tribe comes first. Then he's the naib or the the uh, the leader of that tribe. So he's definitely one that wants to bring all that about and together. And of course, he really does that in the first one. And of course, um, we've already heard that the third book or the third movie, we should say, is the second book, Dune Messiah, has been pretty much greenlit and Warner Brothers want it. They want this film done. They've already seen some of the, of course, the rough cut of what Dune Part 2 is. I mean, surely it's finished by now. I'd say it's ready to rock and roll considering it's coming out in late February here in Australia. So what's the interesting thing is Dune Messiah would take place about 12 years after the last film that was done, which is, of course, Dune Part 2. And the third part is, of course, about, you know, the, the failings of uh, Timothy's character, Paul Atreides, or Paul Mwadib. And, of course, Mwadib becomes emperor of the known universe. But in his name, trillions of people are slaughtered across the universe in his jihad. Of course, very much like as the story goes, June goes all the way back to the Butlerian Jihad, which was the crusade against the machines. But this time, it's a crusade against all that uh, supported the Conans and um, anyone that would stand in the way of Muad'Dib. He's pretty much become unstoppable. But even then, he's trying to stop it himself. And Jim Sire, although isn't quite the book that the first book is, it's an interesting look at, again, um, the failings of a master. And, um, you know, the failing of an emperor. And even he sees that. And, of course, plots coming back, of course, people coming back to try and take on uh, Paul and that all the way down from the Betty Gesserit to the emperor himself and, of course, those that love him. And uh, it's just a very interesting idea. Plus, we get the return of Jason Momoa's character, Duncan Idaho, thanks to clones called Gola. And, of course, is a present from... Uh, a different part, of course, of the universe of Dune. And um, I won't give it away because I think you need to read the books or at least wait for that film whenever that's going to be dropped and you'll find out about where these goalers come from and what do they really plan to do. And can you regain your soul after death using a goaler? Mm, interesting stuff. That comes out, of course, February 28 here in uh, Australia. Can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. They're even looking at some uh, re-releases of the original Dune, which if you haven't seen on the big screen, it's definitely worth doing, particularly just to see the thopters taking off into the desert. It's amazing. It's worth it. Go and check it out. All right, folks, here, of course, we're going to be talking about 1989's Lonesome Dove. What a series, folks. Augustus and, of course, Woodrow, two partners that went out and, of course, did the Kettle Drive, two former rangers 
which holds quite great interest for me too. I think the Rangers are an interesting bunch. Um, and I'm talking about, of course, from this period. They set out on a journey from Texas to Montana in order to revive their thirst for adventure in a big cattle drive. And it really is. It's a hero's journey, folks, of the Western kind. Um, came out on the 5th of February, 1989. And, of course, um, they got the Golden uh, Globe Award in this one too uh, for Best Performance by um, an actor, of course, Robert Duvall. It got um, Golden Globe also for the Best Miniseries Primetime Emmy Award for the director, of course, Australian Simon Windsor. Now, if you know you know me, you know I am a huge fan of Simon Windsor. The work he's done over the years is just second to none. It's fantastic. Uh, they also got a Writers uh, Guild of America Award for Best Adaptation by William D. Whitliffe. Uh, it also got Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Award for um, Tom Villano, Christy Johns, and Gary McHale. And the list goes on, folks. It's got that many awards. A lot of it, Peabody, Primetime, and, of course, um, a TCA Award as well for uh, outstanding achievement in dramatic arts as well. So you can see why people like it. You can see why you know, people herald it as much as Shogun even, you know, and I think that's what's interesting. A lot of these ones over the years, you know, people look back on and think, oh, you know, is it quite as good as it was? And, you know, well, that's, that's an interesting thing to look up and definitely for those that don't know. <laughs> um, all right, let's have a look. So we've got Tommy Lee Jones as Woodrow F. Call, pretty much the lead of this, this um, film. Diane Lane as Lorena Wood. We've got Robert Duvall as Augustus McRae. Ricky Schroeder as Newt Dobbs. These are all characters that, you know, once you get to know, it's really something. But as I said, too, this is a period where a lot of actors were finding their first uh, roles or even first experiences on TV. Chris Cooper, who's a huge name now, plays July Johnson, who's a sheriff in it who goes for a bit of a journey, which we'll talk about. P.I. played by, of course, Timothy Scott. P.I. would be a character also that would um, feature heavily in the next book and the next mini series, which they made as well. And, of course, that is um, Streets of Loretto. Robert Urich, Robert Urich sorry, plays Jake Spoon. Uh, if you're, any, you're a fan of my show, you'd know that I'm a huge fan of Ice Pirates, which, of course, uh, Robert Urich's in. Of course, Joshua Dietz, played by the amazing Danny Glover. And it's a great character, too. I really love that character. I always um, have an affinity for it. Angelica Houston plays Clara, of course, one of the many love interests of uh, our dear, dear pal Augustus McRae. Barry Corbin plays Roscoe Brown. My name's Roscoe Brown. Yes, it's kind of like that. <laughs> and Barry's always been a fantastic uh, talent, I think, um, in this series. And you, know, you really get a good sense of it in this. Um, he's out there doing that. Of course, out there on the plains, we have, of course, the bandit. Of course, native bandit. That is, of course, Frederick Forrest playing Blue Duck. Uh, and, of course, Frederick, I'd always um, sort of known more from 21 Jump Street, which I, if I remember right, he was in the first or maybe second season. Um, I haven't watched that series since then, so I, I can't tell you. <laughs> um, D.B. Sweeney is uh, Dish Boguette or Dishwater Boguette, who has a real thing for, of course, uh, Lorena. Um, but um, D.B. Sweeney, uh, again, another one that turns up in a lot of different stuff. Uh, I'm trying to remember whether, obviously, a uh, big one is Spawn, where he plays love interest to uh, Michael Jai White's wife after he died. 
Uh, and of course, TB Sweeney's huge in the um, late 80s, early 90s after this with, um, I do believe he was in, if I remember right, it is Memphis Bell, I think. Maybe, maybe not. I can't remember. <laughs> You'll have to correct me there, folks. Comment on this if you remember. I'm trying to do this off memory. You know, that we can always look up stuff, but just see how our memory is these days. As Lippy Jones, we, of course, have Bill Sanderson, who would go on to Denwood, of course, many other stuff like that too. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have Gavin O'Hillahy, of course, plays Dan Suggs. Now, Gavin's great. You know, he's he was in a lot of different stuff over the years. His father, Dan O'Hillahy, is, of course, OCP's chairman, the, the man himself, the old man. You know, he goes, nice shooting. <laughs> of course, he's also in a great show called The Last Starfighter, who plays Greg. You know, the guy's, <gasps> he does that laugh. <sighs> exactly like that. <laughs> oh, I'm so dry throat and laughing myself. I sound like Greg himself. But Gavin, of course, is Elk and uh, Willow, of course, the friend to um, Val Kilmer. Who sees him, you know, obviously in the in the cage, he goes, Rot in your cage. And of course, he's kind of like the Lando Calrissian of Willow. Uh, you know, he plays this great big Viking-like character. And kind of suits uh Gavin. You know, he's he was the late great Gavin was was definitely in that sort of ilk with a lot of this, the roles he had. But and, and in this one, he's playing a really um, you know, down, downtrodden bad guy who's, you know, willing to kill and do what he's got to make a quick buck. Um, and I think, you know, really, you know, not, not a nice person, put it, put it that way. But as Eric, you know, there here was always that heroic person there, that one that, you know, still wanted to be there for Mad Mardigan. And uh, he's also in, of course, the last of the Sean Connery Bond films, of course, the one that's not an Eon production. Of course, no. Um, and of course, that is one that we all know very well went up against, of course, Octopussy, never say never again. Okay, we've got Steve Buscemi in this, folks, as well. He plays Luke. And, of course, we've got Big Zway, played by uh, Frederick Coffin. You remember him, of course. He plays um, the cop and friend of, of course, of Steven Skull's character in Hard to Kill. Yes, we'll be covering that here soon. It's one, probably one of my second favourite um, Seagal films from the, that first five or six. They were just solid, well-produced, and just really entertaining um, films given the fact that he's got no charisma <laughs> and he's he's doing Daitoru Aikijujutsu on screen. It's not Aikido, folks. It is not Aikido. It is going back to the pre-war style of Daito, which is pretty much jujitsu. It's a, it's a throwing art. It's it's all that. <laughs> but, of course, uh, Biggs Way and Luke, of course, are looking after Elmira, which is Julie July Johnson's uh, wife who goes out looking for her actual partner, the one that she's really in love with. Uh, who else we got? We've got Travis Swords as Alan. We've got uh, Ron Wayland as old Hugh. We've got Leon Singer. Uh, folks, the, the list goes on. This is just a huge cast. And what's interesting about the cast is a lot of those names you know from TV and, and film to this day. Now, it is a four-part miniseries, which usually takes me about I – I can watch it all in one night – but I, I split it up into part one and part two first night and the second night, part three and four. Uh, there's some great behind the scenes on it too, uh, which we'll get into, uh, you know, we're talking about, well, we'll talk about now, I suppose you get a little bit of the size of what the characters going through. Obviously, um, they talk to pretty much everyone except for Robert Duvall, 
who's said to have not had a good um, time with the director Simon Winsor, supposedly, uh, sadly. But, I mean, it's a great adaptation of uh, Larry's great novel, Lonesome Dove, which went on to have another three novels in it, um, two prequels and one sequel. Um, and, of course, this is a really well done uh, look at, of course, the two characters are uh, probably at this stage, probably in their late 50s, early 60s. Uh, we've got Robert Duvall as Augustus McRae, which is the, the real ladies' man, um, the man who really has a zest for life. He loves everything. Patient, he's kind. Um, when it gets down to, him, he's probably the toughest of the Rangers. As much as Woodrow would like to be tough, that you know, he's a laconic, larrikin sort of character. In some ways, very Aussie. Uh, and, and you know, when you look at it as Aussies, we look at them and see, yeah, he's a cowboy. You know, yeah, he's a ranger, and he, you know, he's a, a farmhand, all that sort of stuff. But there's something about that that just uh, for us Aussies, um, you know, we just think, you know, that's that's down to the point. Um, strong guy, you know, and that's what we we are very much into uh, when we see heroes and stuff like that. Woodrow Call is somebody that's definitely a bit of a you know a social inept. You know, he's not somebody that can go out and actually hold a conversation with anybody. He doesn't know how to talk to people. You know, he all he knows is how to fight and how to wrangle um, you know uh, horses, all that sort of stuff. And of course, it's an interesting character because he's a character who doesn't know also how to love a woman proper, proper. and um, obviously he had a relationship with a um, uh, a prostitute in the previous book that we find out and had a child, even though he will never claim the child's his. And that is, of course, Newt. And there's Newt Dobbs. Anyway, we'll get to that very, very soon. It's obviously directed by Simon Winsor. Composer was Basil Polidorus, yes, the Basil Polidorus, who did some great work with Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies. <laughs> Uh, cinematography by Douglas Milsom. Uh, editor was Corky Arrows. And uh, altogether, it's about 385 minutes of um, some of the best Westerns out there. Budget was $20 million on this, which you think about for uh, late 80s, it's, um, it's quite a ways. So with the actual series, the series started with, of course, Dead Man's Walk, which we get to see the early uh, years of our um, Ranger folk. Comanche Moon, which is one which actually brought back Simon Windsor to direct in about, I think it was 2009, 2010. And it is a fantastic little miniseries. I think it was about three parts to it. And, uh, you know, we got um, some really good actors and as well playing the parts of the original uh, characters from, of course, the original. We've got uh, Augustus McRae in it. We've got um, Carl Urban actually plays Woodrow Call. He's got his own spin on the character, but there's sort of um, a little bit of an ode to um, obviously uh, the actor's um, previous work as well. There's Tommy Lee Jones there too. So, I mean, it was a huge event in 1989 and 1990. Uh, this came out on the double VHS disc as well. Uh, basically, it was split up into two, and you just got this massive two, di uh, or in this case, two cassette package, which was really long and it had great artwork on it. I remember seeing it at the local blockbuster video. It was just, it was amazing to see the work that was done. The first episode is pretty much setting up the world that we live in here and what is to be obviously a huge part down the road. One of the big things is, is the, we look at obviously the world of Lonesome Dove itself, which is a little town, if you like. It's got everything. It's got a little saloon. It's got obviously 
the Hack Creek um, Cattle Company, <laughs> which we have here, and of course run by both, of course, Gus and Woodrow. And of course they've got their group there, we of course um, Dish, they've got um, obviously Newt, they've got um, a couple of other guys like PI, etc., like that too. And the great things about that is that they've got dear friends that have been helping them for years there keep this cattle company. And, of course, the only thing they do is we, they don't rent the pigs, <laughs> which is a little, little funny bit, uh, bit that they put on the sign at the start there too. So we obviously get to see a little bit of that. We get to see also characters that are probably being formally part of that. And, of course, that is where we get to see people returning and coming back for what would be part of the journey forward. The series takes place in the late 1870s, where Gus and, of course, McCall uh, basically have lived a life before this as Texas Rangers, and they run a livery in, of course, this border town of Lonesome Dove. And this is along the Rio Grande. Of course, Gus is upbeat, and he's definitely someone that's, um, as I said, is a womanizer, loves to really, you know, get out and um, live the life, whereas Call is the opposite. He's very military-minded. Um, strict about his work, stoic, and all he wants to do is work, work, work. Some of the characters we've got, we've got Joshua Dietz, obviously played by uh, Danny Glover, who's a tracker, and he's a scout who used to work with him on the Ranger days. He's definitely one that everyone looks towards for um, advice on, um, especially on the, on the run, where he could tell them just by tracking uh, where people have been or where the safest route is as well. But P.I. Parker, who is another ranger as well, worked hard and is um, quite bright, but again is not quite <laughs> as um, on, on the mark as the other guys as well, but very strong still. They've got Bolivar, who um, used to be a bandit years ago. He's a Mexican bandit, but who turns into their chef over years, and he's a bit of a disgruntled chef <laughs> as they take the piss out of his uh, cooking a lot as well. Obviously, too, we've got a 17-year-old in this one, which is Newt Dobbs, and um, his mum was a prostitute that um, for years, um, uh, you know, Paul had gone and seen in this. And, of course, that is, um, you know, where how Gus figured out and he secretly knew um, Newt was um, the son, of course, of Paul. So in part, when we get to see, basically, everyone get together and they... Uh, reminisce with an old friend, Jake Spoon, who comes back. Jake was always a bit outlandish and didn't really like to do the work, but he was, uh, without a doubt, still a good fighter and um, somebody that was always there with him. He, um, when he meets up with the guys, tells him he's actually a fugitive from Fort Smith, Arkansas, where uh, he accidentally shot the dentist, who was also the mayor of the place. And um, it was just a barroom gunfight that had taken place. And um, the dentist, um, has a brother by the name of July Johnson, who's actually the sheriff. And July is now out on the hunt for, of course, Jake Spoon. But now that he's got back together with, uh, of course, Paul and Gus, um, now they tell him about Montana and, of course, where they're heading in Montana to take the cattle drive there too. They're taking a herd of cattle and drive all the way up there, attracted by the idea of this beautiful, pristine country, the northern country that they haven't been to before. Gus is a little bit less into what's going on there too. Getting old and he wants to really live out his days, not so much as traders and rangers or cowboys. He wants to just really live in a civilised lifestyle. 
But of course, and he says this, of course, the um, the widow here, of course, of um, the person that died, July Johnson sets off in pursuit of Spoon. And with him, he has his stepson, Joe, who um, at the request of his mum, Elmira, said, you've got to stay with July and make sure he's okay. Of course, Elmira has a different idea of that. She takes off from Fort Smith herself to head for Ogallala in Nebraska to meet up with her actual husband, which is um, Joe's father, D. Boot. D. Boot, who's actually a uh, criminal himself and um, is in quite a hot bother as well. She takes a sailing boat up from Arkansas River with a bunch of buffalo hunters. From here we see also, too, the men of the Lonesome Dove make prep for, of course, their adventure north. They're taking, um, of course, including uh, 2,500 horses and cattle from Rio Grande and Mexico where they steal them. And befriended two actual um, Ibrians as well. Two Irish men, Alan and Sean O'Brien, mind you. <laughs> and, of course, they head for, of course, that area too. Gus also returns um, here uh, after they've taken off to, to take the sign with them, of course, with the Hack Creek Cattle, Cattle Company. But as they head to, of course, Fort Smith, we see this, that um, Peach, who's July Johnson's uh, sister-in-law, insists that Roscoe Brown, now Roscoe is, of course, um, the one we talked about before, who's not quite there, but to go after July and let July know that, of course, his wife has taken off after the boot. But she's also pregnant, which is not good. Of course, Jake decides not to go with them and uh, would rather go and play cards in San Francisco. And, of course, with this, he takes um, a prostitute by the name of Laurie that everyone knows. And, of course, as a bit of a penchant for, of course, Gus McRae herself too. But from here, of course, they get through and they head off. And, of course, the group then goes through a huge dust storm. Only one of them is um, unfortunately killed. He's attacked by water snakes or moccasins, they're called, in the Muirsees River. Now, it's quite a, a, a scary thing to see because obviously you see all these um, snakes in the river as they're crossing, attacking him. Now, it would be one thing to see one, but it's like 10, or 10 to 15 snakes come out of nowhere in this nest and attack them, uh, which is absolutely scary. Then we head into, of course, part two, where we see um, him succumb to his um, numerous bites. He's just, there's no way they get through there too. P.I. is also checked and, and made sure that he was as well the same. As they um, travel um, from here too, uh, Sheriff July Johnson happens to catch up with him as well. Johnson's uh, wife, of course, uh, arrives at um, uh, Ben Forts, Colorado. And from here, heads over to the plains with two hunters. Um, who you don't know whether have her best intentions in mind there too. From here, of course, after the mishap, Gus and Cole head into San Antonio, and this is where they look for a new uh, cook after, of course, the original cook didn't want to come. So they find Poe Campo, who gets the job, and uh, basically seeing his cooking, Gus and Cole really like, wow, I mean, I've never seen cooking like this in my life. Of course, from here, Gus actually catches up with Laurie as well, whom Jake had abandoned, um, to go gambling in Austin, Texas instead. From here, Gus and Laurie encounter Blue Duck out on the on the water. This is where basically Gus and Cole, um, you know, have faced him before in early days. You see actually that part in, of course, um, Comanche Moon. And of course, 
Blue Duck knocks Newt unconscious, kidnaps Laurie, and um, tries to sell her off. Knowing that Gus is in, uh, gonna basically um, go hot pursuit after him, Blue Duck also asks uh, a bunch of Comancheros to kill Gus when he comes down. We go three or four of them. And from here, we get to see classic Gus, uh, and it's quite interesting. He runs into July Johnson on the way there after shooting his own horse to hide behind as kind of a barricade and take out the um, Comancheros. From here, Johnson is obviously at that time up with his um, other people he's got with. He's caught up with Roscoe. Roscoe obviously found a uh, young lady that's with him as well, and plus he's got his son. Now, when he meets Gus, Gus even tells him not to come down to, obviously, where those guys are and help him with Laurie. He said, you've got to stay up here and protect your people. But at the same time, he thought, well, it would be probably good to have some backup. But Gus goes guns blazing down there with that big cult of his, that big walker, and takes out every single one of them except for Blue Duck. Blue Duck hides and um, tails it. But... When he does that, he actually kills off everyone except for Johnson, which is really sad. So everybody died, unfortunately, too. From here, of course, afterwards, um, we, Laurie's absolutely traumatized and only wants to hang around Gus and no one else. Um, so basically, Gus becomes her primary protector of this, too. This is where we get to see, of course, um, uh, completely oblivious to what's going on, Jake Spoon, then falling in with that gang that we talked about earlier. So that wraps up part two. Part three starts, obviously, too, as they go through Spoon and the, his horse wranglers. They're going around, basically, going to a sodbusters farm, shooting them and, of course, taking what they've got. Spoon disagrees in killing any of these people. They've got nothing that they, they can really hurt to. But, of course, he says, no witnesses. So from here, Gus uh, and Cole hear about them and, of course, give them the capture. And from here, this is where Gus and um, the gang and Cole... Uh, find Jake and the gang, and unfortunately they hang them. And even Jake Spoon admits that it's better to be hanged by his friends than by strangers. But here's some of the best acting too by Robert Duvall. When we get to see Jake Spoon hang, watch Robert Duvall's face. It's um, you can see the grief, everything hitting at once. It's really shocking. So from here we got, of course, on the other side, Elmira and the uh, two buffalo hunters arrive at um, Clara Allen's place which is, of course, um, Gus's old claim. And this is near the Plateau River in Nebraska. Clara's husband is, um, at this stage, really, really sick. He's an invalid, um, and he's been kicked in the head by a horse. There's not much chance of him surviving this. But Clara still goes along uh, with what needs to be done. And, of course, Elmira gives birth to a son, but then abandons the kid and takes off. And she leaves the kid with, of course, Clara. From here, two weeks later, Sheriff July Johnson actually comes to the place, Clara's house, and uh, he sees his kid, his abandoned kid. And of course, he's still broken up over what's happened before, so he's got so much trauma going on. But this is where Clara is really good as a character. She's able to emphasize what needs to be done in such traumatic times and still have a smile on her face afterwards, too. Clara had uh, been through the same sort of things, having lost her. I own three sons to pneumonia before this as well, which is quite horrific. And, of course, she's fond, of, of course, of um, uh, the new son. I think it's the name of Martin. So Gus and Cole then drive all the way to Ogallala, where they relax and enjoy. And this is where we have a really interesting scene with the U.S. Cavalry. 
Cavalry turns up and basically well, they want to commandeer all the horses that are there, particularly those. So they go up to, of course, Dish Boguette, who um, is then viciously taken down by one of the, the many uh, soldiers, there, the old soldiers using a whip and stuff like that. And just from there, Newt gets in the way. And, of course, from here, Newt screams out to uh, Woodrow Call, his dad. And Woodrow does one of the amazing things, jumps on his horse, rides it all the way down and knocks over this guy on a horse, like, so, kind of like a leg sweep for a horse. And then he literally goes to town with an iron bar on uh, the guy that was hurting his son. And what's really interesting is, is that they've got to pull him away because he's going to end up killing the guy. <laughs> uh, going on their journey, Gus and uh, Cole lead the cattle all the way through the badlands of the Wyoming Territory. This is where, of course, um, the water supply is almost completely gone as they head into Montana. From here, uh, there's a bunch of um, Indians who've been stealing dozens of horses, and not to ride, but to actually use them as food because they're so hungry. They're, um, they've got no food, no nutrition, no nothing. From here, Cool goes out with, of course, Gus and, um, and Dietz, and using his gun, scares off the Indians. That way they can try and get their horses back. As they head down, Deet sees a young kid that's um, blind. There's a little Indian child left behind by the, the people and picks him up and just makes sure that he's okay. But, of course, then there's an Indian hiding behind a bush with a spear. Throws the spear into Deet's straight through the chest. And from here, this is when Gus and um, Cole fire away with their uh, weapons and take him out. But this is one of the serious... Ones that really, I mean, Dietz, Danny Glover's performance in particular is one of the things that really grounds this um, series. Just as good as any of the other performances in it, but he's got that flair for really, you can see the care and love that he has for, obviously, the people. And when the character like that goes, it's gut-wrenching. So they bury him, and then, of course, the party continue across Powder River. This is where, still in Nebraska, but they've, um, Clara's husband actually uh, finally dies and is buried there too. From here, the main group uh, scout with P. Uh, I. Parker, and of course, Gus decides to um, obviously go after some buffalo as well. So, they end up being chased by a bunch of mounted Indians as well. And this is where Gus is um, wounded badly in the leg by arrows. And it's in his right leg. While trying to basically go for help, P. I. is guided by the ghost of Deeds. So, I thought this is interesting. It's something obviously. Now, is it Dietz or is it really just, you know, P.I.'s, you know, uh, mind playing up? I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastical idea, but I think in the parameters of what's happening here, it really, really works quite well. And uh, whereas Gus from here is founded by a stranger and taken 40 miles away to Montana from here as well, which is really interesting too. So when um, brought to, of course, um, the doctor, Gus, has to have his uh, leg amputated. It's too far gone. And um, he tells Gus that his left leg is also septic and he will die if he doesn't have the other one taken out. But this is where Gus, you know, the Gusisms come in. And Gus just can't do it. He said, I need to have at least one leg. And Gus tells Cole even to give his money to Laurie and starts talking about basically what he needs to do and the fact that he... Woodrow F. Call has to tell him that he's Newt's father. Tell Newt himself in person. 
And then from here, obviously, too, he writes down his last um, last testament to, of course, um, those around him in his will. And then Gus dies. So Cool then arranges um, Gus's body to um, stay in town for the winter. And this is when he'll also take him body to where he wants to be um, buried. Following spring, Cool honors Gus's wish to uh, be returned to Texas. This is where, of course, Cool gives um, Newt a pocket watch that belongs to his original, his own father, and uh, says that uh, Newt will continue to run the ranch while he's away. Of course, this is one of those things that, um, you know, he's still not able to say it, but, but he's actually the son. This is where, of course, I think even Newt knows himself, but is able, is not able to get it out. And I think, of course, in the miniseries, you know, Robert Robert um, Bale's character even tells him. So he returns to Ogallara and Sheriff Johnson, Clara, and uh, Laurie, and the ranch there, uh, and Dish uh, live all together in the same place. Dish is actually still in love with Laurie, but she doesn't want him. This is when Cole brings Gus's body. Laurie stays and mourns by the coffin. Um, but this is where it gets obviously interesting. He's going to take it out to where he needs to go. After the journey, Cool arrives at Santa Rosa, New Mexico, where Blue Duck has finally been captured. It's an interesting one too because obviously Blue Duck's still not willing to get hanged, so he jumps out a window and, and dies by the fall. <laughs> um, and, of course, then we see the journey of uh, everything from broken wagon to blizzards, Cool finally burying Gus after a journey of up to 3,000 miles. Again, still a journey. And these guys that love that sort of journey. Um, and, of course, he you know weeps for his friend. One of the best scenes towards the end is when Cool walks out of uh, the town. There's this reporter. He recognizes him and tries to interview him about everything. Cool ignores everything aside from agreeing with him that he was a man of vision. And he walks away into the distance, a hero. Folks, that is one of the most remarkable ones out there. And it really is. Robert DeVal playing Captain Augustus McRae, one of the former Texas Rangers. Still to this day, his best role. Tommy Lee Jones is Captain Woodrow F. Call with a very funky bleached beard and stuff. Um, again, great for him as well. Um, maybe not his best role, but certainly very close to it. And he, he and Robert really gel in this. And uh, it's a shame that he didn't come back for um, the next one, Streets of Loretto, even though we got somebody just as good, if not better, at the later age that he, the character is. Joshua Deeds played by Danny Glover. Diane Lane as Lorena Wood. Robert Urich as Jake Spoon. He plays it you know, devilishly well. Uh, Blue Duck, Frederick Frost. D.B. Sweeney as Dishwater. Ricky Schroeder as Newt Dobbs. Angela Houston as Clara. Paul Seth Allen. Chris Cooper as July Johnson. Tim Scott as P.I. Piker. Glenn Headley as Elmira. Barry Corbin as Buster Brown. William Sanderson as Lippy Jones. Barry Tubb as Jasper Fant. Uh, Gavin O. Hillary as Dan Suggs as the Suggs Gang. Steve Buscemi as Luke. And, of course, Frederick Coffin as Big Sway. And, of course, Travis Swords as Ellen O'Brien. Nina Samisko as Janie. That's right, Casey Samisko's sister from, of course, yes, that Lorong Rangers. That's right. Come on. You know the movie we're talking about. Yeah? The one with the Lone Rangers. How can you pluralize the Lone Rangers? Yes, airheads. <laughs> You've also got Missy Kreider as Sally Allen. Uh, Lauren Stanley as Betsy Allen, Jerry Biggs as Roy Suggs, Sean Hennigan as Eddie Suggs, Julius Tennant as Froglip, all from the Suggs gang, Bradley Gregg as Sean O'Brien, Kevin O'Morrison as Doctor, and the list goes on, folks. Huge cast. 
So production began on this one based on the novel. Peter Bogdanovich uh, was co-written the one. I was looking at John Wayne originally is going to play Cool and John, Jimmy Stewart as um, Gus. Henry Fonda as Jake Spoon, but the project collapsed. Uh, and it, that was when it was based upon a screenplay that had been um, written with Peter Bogdanovich originally. And from here, of course, it turned into a novel later. And it was with um, the likes of, of course, Robert Humming uh, as the main financier, who, of course, went on to do a number of huge miniseries over the years. And, of course, uh, Robert Duvall coming into the picture. That's when things really got moving. Four actors were also offered Woodrow Call, Charles Bronson, James Garner. Well, he did get to play it later, didn't he? John Voight and, of course, Duvall as well. Um, but all declined um, for reasons before the role fell to, of course, Tommy Lee Jones. Garner said he was originally set to play on the release but had to drop out at the time because he was really sick. Uh, Duvall actually turned down the role call on the grounds he had already played that type of character before. And he wanted to play Gus. Bronson agreed to play Blue Duck, but he was under contract to Canon Films. And said so he required to make a movie of them for them instead. Can you imagine? That would have been pretty damn cool to have him play that role. Now, it was partially shot at the Alamo Village, the movie set originally created for, of course, John uh, Wayne's Alamo. And majority of it was filmed at Moody Ranch, which is uh, south of Del Rio, Texas. Other locations were used in New Mexico as well in Texas. Uh, Real Ranch horses also used. Tommy Jones and Rob Duvall did their own stunts in the film, except for the one um, where Duvall had to ride in the center ahead of Bison. So it's a really interesting one, and it's been remastered since um, uh, in 2007, starting the weekend of that. It was set out back on TV. Critics really love this. Um, the New York Times said, this six-hour miniseries based on a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Larry McMurtry revitalized both the Western miniseries and Western genres, both which have been considered dead for several years. Lonesome Dove earned 18 anime nominations and inspired a pair of miniseries sequel, as well as two attempts at an ongoing television. So there you go. Like, it's it's obviously huge, uh, momental um, sort of thing, and each part was just huge. Basil Polidorus obviously did the great um, score on this. He, um, you know, he scored several of the director's next work, Quigley Down Under, Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, Free Willy, and of course, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, folks. That's right. Of course, you got The Theme, Jake's Fate, Nightmares, Cowboys Down the Street, Statue Deets Dies, uh, Arkansas Pilgrims, Sunny Slopes of uh, Yesterday, The Leaving on the Trail, Murdering Horse Thieves, Gus and P.I., Gus Dies, Captain Call's Journey, Farewell Ladies as well. This is a great series, folks, and you really have to, you know, again, give it the time that it needs. You know, you can't just w watch it and one day hope that it all sinks in. This series is a five out of five on, of course, the Hammerback Scale here on the Lethal Mullet Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. 
Hair Metal Podcast. We cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville Show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. <laughs>